Welcome back. You're listening to episode 93 of Panoramic Outdoors. Today we have with us Mark Stenrus of Eye Hunter. Eye Hunter is perhaps the most dynamic hunting tool you can have on your phone uh, in Canada. Great way to get that vital information, whether you're scouting out in the field or looking to increase your depth of knowledge in hunting game. Um, that's iHunter there. We got Mark coming on to talk about the latest release of the newest edition, as well as even more tips and tricks on how to use this app to its most. But before we do that, I got Chase sitting with me here. Chase, uh, you recently moved and uh, you're in the new digs. How's it going there? Pretty good, man. It's pretty good. We, uh, we just lit our first uh, fire in our fireplace in the house and um I just walked out of the room here earlier and I could smell the the wood smoke kind of just lingering in the house. Not a not like an overly powerful smell, but just that you know a fire's kind of burning smell. So I'm I'm excited about that. Things are cooling down a little bit, so um the blood gets going, you know, fall is in the air pretty much. And uh yeah, I'm excited to look forward to this this uh this season coming up um before i get into things though i just want to toss this out there we've partnered up with uh wool love wool love is one of our sponsors on here and we want to they're giving away some free money pretty much if you guys haven't heard of wool love they are a merino wool base layer pretty much so we're talking underwear socks long underwear they have different kinds of uh, upperwear. They also have golf shirts and some casual wear as well, t-shirts, which is all very comfortable. We've been wearing it for almost a year now, and it has certainly stepped up our comfort levels in the woods, especially on those cool days, especially when you're walking around, sweating a little bit, wicks that sweat right off you. And if you didn't know, Merino wool has antimicrobial properties, so it keeps you smelling like a rose, even on those sweaty days. Um, but if you're interested in getting a, a little gift card from them to put towards uh, some, to, uh, whether you want to try some out or buy someone someone uh, some gear to try out, slide into our DMs on Instagram or Facebook and we will hook you up with some free money to put towards. We'll love. Nothing like a little free Merino wool, man. I can't uh, complain about that. And uh, I, I was getting the feeling, too, with the chill in the air today. I was thinking about that uh, wall just even a little bit more today than usual. Let's put it that way. Yeah, no kidding. What else you been up to on your end? You've been on uh, a bit of an adventure streak here with the family for the last couple of weeks. Yeah, it's been busy. We've been touring the province in some ways. Uh, we uh, we went out, uh, I guess, one of the trips was out to the White Shell with you. Uh, we went to lake of the woods uh, a couple times and met up with some family and friends there and it was just great to be back in uh, cabin country and just such a like almost like very um dynamic and just such an interesting water body that lake of the woods there's so much you can do there uh so much you can fish for uh we relaxed a lot of the time and then uh the the other big trip was up to clear lake and uh i hadn't uh, camped in a federal park for a long time so that was a bit of a different experience we got our cooler confiscated the first night 
<laughs> because we accidentally left it outside and we didn't know that cooler confiscations were a thing. But uh, we did the walk of shame all the way back to the the office and recovered our cooler. Uh, no problems there. The, the staff were all friendly, got a little education on uh, being bear smart in a federal park. And, uh, but yeah, it's been great to get out. It's been busy. Uh, we've had good enough weather. Uh, we managed to dodge those wildfires for the most part, but, uh, yeah, been fun. Right on. And, uh, we've had a few good shots of rain here lately in Manitoba, which is, kind of put a dampener on the on the burn ban situation which is good because now we can fire up our charcoal barbecues again and, uh, and i was it was looking pretty desperate for a while there let me tell you i was thinking about when we're going to get the pit barrel out next it's like i can't believe we got the governor out on this thing right now i know i know it's crazy and it's not like i feel like we would be all right you know burning charcoal in, in the pit barrel but it's, it's i guess you know that one in a thousand person that, you know, might shit might go sideways with that they got to think about. So, um, anyways, looking forward to flashing that bad boy back up. And as you guys all know on this podcast, Pip Rail is also a huge supporter of the podcast here. So, um, head over to pitbarrelcookers.com if you want to step up your flavor game. They are a stand-up barrel cooker, and they will increase the barbecue flavor on whatever you're cooking like crazy so um if you're in canada head over to the website you can find a dealer on their dealer map there or if you're in the states it's free shipping um statewide so check them out also i forgot to do the the wool love website so their website is wool.love if you go to just type that into your your browser bar wool.love that's going to get you right to their website can't complain, man. Can't complain. And uh, before we dive too deep into the uh, the whole iHunter series here, which is exciting, um, have to mention that we got I got Finn out on his first squirrel hunt this uh, this evening. Nice. How did that go? Yeah. Ah, uh, pretty good. You know what was happening? The the squirrels are wreaking havoc on the neighborhood, and you know some folks might not like the fact that you're a hunter until they need something killed. <laughs> so since the squirrels were becoming problematic, I got the green light from everyone in the neighborhood and it is now squirrel whacking season. Nice. And uh, I also had to look after Finn tonight. So we went for a little walk with the, the, uh, the sidearm in the, around the yard tonight. And, uh, we dropped a couple squirrels. Willie was all over it too. So that was the uh, the first supervised hunting experience. It's a nice little family activity right there. Yeah. Yeah. So we got uh, got a couple squirrels down there. There's a few less culprits in the neighborhood. And uh, it was uh, kind of kept us busy for the evening. Yeah, no kidding. Those things wreak havoc. Have you... Uh, yeah. Have you been flinging any arrows lately i know we're talking about getting together tomorrow night to uh to maybe play a little string music but uh how have you been keeping up on the the old archery practice rolling into <laughs> archery season here man i'm still embarrassed because i know i disclosed on the last podcast that i have not been practicing at all really and i've i've actually been dreading it i meant to practice last night and then i got into this ridiculous like neck pain 
and that, that had me laid up on the couch all night. I don't know if, you know, 35, I thought 35 was supposed to be the new 20, <laughs> but here I was laid up on the couch and, uh, yeah, I was just in pain. So that didn't help. Um, so I'm hoping Friday, I'm really looking forward to Friday here to start dialing things in a little bit and, uh, maybe we'll keep folks posted on how the first few shots out of the dad bow go for this season but i i'm very thankful for uh the folks at heights there who uh bequested us a, a few new arrows here to to fight the good fight we'll say yeah i i uh i feel bad because my arrows have also been parked in my bow case right lately with the with the move last week and uh i've yet to find a, a spot to really stretch it out i think i'm going to probably draw back a couple times in the old garage here and get some garage arrows in but uh i was doing a little reading in the regulations and i don't think it's it's too um it's allowed to be shooting the bow in town so <laughs> we'll oh have boy. to we'll have to figure something out here close close by but uh yeah if you guys are looking for any archery season gear or you know what waterfall Waterfowl season is not far off either, and, and uh, Heights is a stockpile of ammunition there, shotguns, uh, ammunition, and all kinds of stuff. So head down there. They will hook you up. And uh, if you want to check out some of their stuff on their website, heightsoutdoors.com, they are pretty much up to date as far as I can see you with all their stuff. So, And you know what I noticed on their social media too? I was chatting with, uh, I'm assuming it was Jason there behind the social media they they got some uh, new powders in, or some you know some some more reloading powders in, which I know have been in short supply around the whole country. So uh, the H one thousand and the uh, forty three fifty, which I both use, they got back in stock. So I'm very excited to see some of those powders coming uh, coming back online. But he was saying he didn't have much of it. So if, if you need some powder, now is the time to stock up, get in touch with them over at Heights and uh, get those shells loaded for fall. Yeah. That's almost like a, a leave work early for lunch break kind of <laughs> yeah. thing or like just show up late for, from like your morning break. Or just stick the pen in your leg and be like, boss, I got to go. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Don't cough. Don't cough these days, but maybe yeah. like a pen in the leg is a little bit more acceptable than a cough these days. So. Yeah, I guess so. Yeah. yeah. No kidding. Totally. Well, you, what's that? Yeah. And we got the eye hunter coming up. Yeah. Mark Stenroos from eye hunter is joining us on this episode is awesome. Um, always learn a bunch from him. Uh, do, do you get a little like Mark Shifley vibe from him a little bit? Uh, yeah, you know, he's kind of like a little coy and a little like, uh, you know, he's got that kind of like smooth conversationalist to him. So yeah, I'd say so. I was thinking more of like a visual appearance. Maybe it was just because of, uh, the, I don't know, the lighting or something that he was, he was in today. But anyways, quite possibly the busiest man in Nova Scotia because I know he's been busy lately. That whole company has been busy putting together the new interface, working on the, I mean, the landowner maps for Manitoba and all kinds of stuff, just constantly upgrading that app, making it better, more more usable and uh, user-friendly for, for everybody. So um, we got a little deal going on with them right now. If you're interested in uh, trying out their public land subscription, head over to their website, web.ihunter.com, and you can purchase the, the public land subscription for 30% off 
if you're using the promo code panoramic 30. That's awesome. And if you, if you want to get your, their app on your device, be sure to check out, uh, Either if you're using if you're using Android, you got to check out the Google Play apps or the your Apple apps for iOS, and uh, yeah, that app integrates beautifully with the uh, the web device there. So make sure you use both. Check them out, and uh, it let's uh, let's get into this thing. Hey, Chase, what do you think? Let's do it. Okay, and again, thanks again, Mark, so much for coming on the podcast. Here he is, Mark Centers of iHunter. And joining us for his second appearance on the uh, Panoramic Outdoors podcast, we have Mark Stenroos with us here tonight. Mark, how you doing, buddy? I uh, can't complain, man. How are you guys? Good, good. Welcome back. Thanks. It uh, feels good to be invited back for a repeat performance. It's great. <laughs> we also have uh, Tristan on the other end here uh, tuning in at, from Lockport and... Uh, Mark and I are both actually at uh, at different locations for this podcast. Um, both, I, I'm I'm a more recent move, but uh, but Mark, you've uh, you made the move a, a few months ago to the uh, to the eastern coast there. Why don't you tell yeah, us about we've, that? Yeah, uh, we've we've been out in Nova Scotia for about eight months now. Uh, we um, yeah made a just kind of spur of the moment move from Calgary over the Christmas break and uh, got out to Nova Scotia in time to quarantine for a couple of weeks uh, before school started up again. So we kind of took advantage of that Christmas break to be able to move the kids out and, you know, get them a little bit settled before school opened up again and uh, get them back in to a routine. Was that something you guys had in the crosshairs for a while or was that just kind of like, let's, let's shake things up a little bit here and go, go see what the other side of the country is like. Yeah, I don't know how long you plan things for, but this this was like a, uh, you know, days to weeks kind of plan uh, that we put into action. <laughs> we were we were definitely looking to make a move. Um, we, you know, we like Calgary. We love love uh, a lot of the friends and family and, and whatnot that we have uh, near Calgary. And, you know, the hunting opportunities and all that, fantastic. But we'd been there for 10 or 11 years. My wife grew up by water. She grew up in Finland, right by the sea all the time. And so she has a a very strong draw for the coast. And, you know, it's, we're pretty landlocked in Alberta. So we we definitely wanted to explore some other areas of the country. And um, yeah, and a good opportunity. We found a nice rental house in Lunenburg, Nova Scotia. And we, uh, we pulled the trigger and uh, (laughs) we listed the house it sold two days later and then we realized like holy shit now we actually have to move in this very small window so i think we we did everything in about two weeks we're on a plane and then two weeks of quarantine but before uh school started Ooh, man good for you that's awesome though that's that's uh definitely a bold move and I, but i think it's something that's going to be obviously uh have a big influence on not only your lives but just you know your kids lives and everything like that and, and in a positive way i think you know travel's good experiencing new things yeah, is good we definitely like exploring like uh like i said my wife is from overseas i've lived in finland for a couple of years uh we've traveled around lots and um you know i wonder how much of it is also influenced by the fact that we were so locked down for for so long and you couldn't even travel anywhere and so we did make the you know the decision to take the risk of you know flying uh across the country in order to make something like this work. But, 
you know, the flip side of that is Nova Scotia has handled everything really well out here. For most of the year, the kids were able to go go to school without masking and such because we just had such low numbers. Kind of backfired on us at a certain point because we ended up homeschooling for, uh, I don't know, it was at least a month or so. And uh, you know what? My French is not very good. <laughs> I got to tell you that. Like, we, we put the uh, kids in, like, French immersion. And even though it's grade one, my French is still not very good. I'm not a, not a good teacher, so it's uh, yeah, kind of kind of backfired on us and shot myself in the foot a little bit uh, work wise, not being able to get done nearly as much when uh, the whole family's home with me. Yeah, no kidding. Is your French getting better? It is actually a little bit, uh, but more more from translating iHunter. Uh, <laughs> so I've been doing the uh, reviewing all of the Quebec uh, tra- the translations for iHunter Quebec, and uh, you know I just I'm reading a lot of French content and a lot of French hunting content, and it, so don't don't test me on any of it. But uh, you know it's it's good enough that I'm you know starting to be able to understand a little bit more. Dude, that that's that's like uh, extra marks for your kids. Just just get them to do that for their homework and, and bring it into class and there you go <laughs> that's a great idea i didn't even think about that a little bit too young yet but like looking forward looking uh can definitely put them to work that's funny and i i'm gonna have to apologize to any folks here listening in nova scotia and to my grade 10 geography teacher but um lunenburg what made you settle there i had to look it up and uh see exactly where it was in nova scotia but how, how did you guys land on lunenburg uh, we had moved out here uh, during when my son was born. We did a cross Canada trip and then uh, settled in uh, Hubbard's, uh, Nova Scotia, which is uh, quite close to Lunenburg. We ended up meeting some friends out here, so we had a couple people that we knew in town here, and we just really liked the town. It's a, a UNESCO World Heritage site, so like almost all of the houses in the old town are you know 100 to 200 years old, and they're all original architecture. It's it's quite a neat. Uh, little town to live in and it's you know it's maybe only 2,000 people living in town but it kind of hits above its weight in terms of like services and stuff because it is a tourist town so there's lots of you know kind of anything you would need would still be here but it's still got like a very small town community feel where you um, I don't know we it feels just like we actually know a lot of the people in the community already even though you know we've only met a, a small handful. 2,263 in 2016, according to Wikipedia. So, well, I need a Tristan in my life that he can just pull up stats as, as we go. This is great. Yeah, anytime, buddy. Anytime. That's awesome. I, yeah, and I'm just uh, browsing. It looks absolutely beautiful there. So, I can definitely see the, uh, the heritage vibe for sure. And uh, yeah, I think Chase and I both grew up in what we consider like small town Manitoba. So, like, very appreciative of that factor as well being able to know who your neighbors are and bump into familiar faces at the corner store kind of scenario the other thing is uh lunaberg is a fishing village right and it, it, it that's where its history lies and so it's uh you know you've got still active harbor where you know you've got fishing boats going in and out it's awesome for the kids they're super interested uh in that kind of stuff it's also, I would say it's kind of like the deer capital of Nova Scotia uh, for white-tailed deer. It's got uh, probably one of the highest populations in, in Nova Scotia, which is still lower than, um, you know, in, in a lot of like uh, the Western provinces, but it's um, got good solid populations. And as long as I can figure out my permissions and stuff, hopefully I'll be able to have a uh, salvage a little bit of my um, hunting season this year. 
How I much? say salvage because I'm already anticipating uh, lack of time due to three kids and uh, and the the chaos which is eye hunter during hunting season. So. <sighs> oh, I bet. How much time have you spent on the the eye hunter for uh, personal investment for your for your uh, new hunting endeavors? Yeah, that's actually it's interesting. I spent most of quarantine uh, building out the iHunter Nova Scotia public land subscription. So um, <laughs> adding in the private land boundaries, the crown land boundaries, all of the huntable parks, non-huntable parks. And yeah, it, totally selfish uh, on the part of myself, just like I need to figure out uh, hunting here and I need to figure out where I'm going to be hunting and, um, and scouting. And yeah, it, it I don't, I honestly, I don't know how you would really do it. Like it would be a lot more cumbersome without it. And so I built it again for myself, but like, there's a lot of people that I think are finding value in it already. So, yeah, I guess for, uh, for, I guess, I don't know if we really did a formal introduction of you here. So I'm assuming most of, uh, our listeners already know who you are, but if there's anybody tuning in that doesn't know who Mark is, uh, you are one of the founding partners of iHunter, which is the app that is like uh mapping tracking gps waypointing all sorts of information i don't think i've figured out every piece of every tool on that on that app yet although i've tried but uh yeah one of the most useful tools in our pack anyways yeah those those are all true facts <laughs> um yeah uh, we started about um man it's almost 10 years now so it's uh, coming up on a bit of a milestone uh, I started it on my own. Uh, I brought in a partner, uh, my friend Gareth, uh, from a design standpoint. Uh, he ended up not sticking with the company, but uh, kind of coming full circle, he came back this year. So uh, he's back working full time. Um, we've got uh, five employees total uh, full time. And uh, yeah, everybody's just been totally busting, busting their balls this year, just trying to get everything. Well, there's a lot of changes this year. We've... Um, yeah, I'm sure we'll get into those later, but uh, yeah, everything, everybody's been working really hard and um, I think we've got a real solid offering for this fall. Yeah, Chase, before we put the cart before the horse, maybe we should uh, we should burn Mark here. What do you think? Yeah, let's do it. I, uh, we've, we've been getting a little tangled up into some conversation here, but uh, let's do it. Let's, we can't, can't uh, start it, this episode off without giving you the five burners, so we'll uh, grill you with them. Um, I'm going to start off here with, uh, three and Tristan's got two in the pocket over there. So, um, question number one, now that you're living seaside, what's your favorite fish to put on the grill? You are, uh, you're going to kind of mock me. So like my fishing, uh, it has not, not gone well. Um, <laughs> I have not caught any fish at all out here um but there is amazing good local seafood uh nearby and yeah. uh i would say the scallops have been the best um kind of the best find um just some really nice uh deep fried scallops from a local fish uh place have been kind of my favorite so far deep fried scallops yeah no I, I hadn't had them before either but they were primo sweet is there do you is there some pretty uh sweet little fish markets out there there are, yeah. There's a, and and the awesome thing is that you end up meeting the owners of these places, and they're fantastic people, and they've got kids your age, and so you end up like hanging out with them as well. And uh, yeah, there's some uh, really awesome uh, fish shops. I'll give a shout out to Dory Mates. Uh, 
fish shop in Lunenburg. Nice. They've been supplying all of our fresh fish for us. So it's been great. Man, I've just a quick side bar here, but I've, I've had this urge to, to go East for a few years now, but I feel like this, this conversation that we're going to have is just going to like kickstart it into overdrive. And hopefully after COVID stuff calms down, I can make it out that way. But question number I've two. Heard, I've heard from other East coasters too, that the scallops are the big difference between uh, what you get more inland versus the, uh, the coastal regions that that's the, that's the standard we'll say. Yeah, the Manitoba scallops aren't uh, aren't doing it for you. <laughs> well, I know nothing else, so <laughs> I can't say anything, right? But the East Coasters say, yeah, don't mess around with the Manitoba scallops. You got to get the fresh <laughs> ones from out east. Yeah, fresh frozen. Yeah, fresh frozen. Um, question number two: You've, uh, I mean, you you spent a lot of time elk hunting in the mountains uh, out west. Um, you're a little bit, I guess, closer to to moose country now i don't know is there any moose in nova scotia uh there's a moose draw that's still open uh in cape breton but on mainland nova scotia um they're endangered or or very limited if there are any there's a few pockets but there's no no hunting seasons on mainland nova scotia and then cape breton um they do have some some uh, i don't know what their numbers are like uh i missed the draw this year uh so i didn't get to put in for that draw just just due to my procrastination on registering for my wildlife resource card or whatnot, like the hunting license out here and getting my Alberta license transferred over in time. So I missed that by a couple of days. But uh, yeah, hopefully I'll be able to put in for that in the future. Well, I guess the, the, you got some pretty good moose opportunities to the North in, in uh, Newfoundland there as well. Right. So um, anyways, question, I guess now unrelated, but uh, elk or moose hunting? What would you rather do? Um, since I've been successful on moose and unsuccessful on elk, I'm going to say moose. But uh, no, actually, like I love elk hunting every year. I Like I say, I haven't actually been successful myself. I've been on, you know, many, many successful elk hunts, but I, like I've never actually taken an elk uh, yet, which, yeah, so I love that. But uh, that being said, I'm going back to Alberta for a moose hunt uh, in October with my dad. So we'll be bow hunting uh, during um, yeah during calling season or during the rut. And uh, yeah, just hopefully, you know, just getting a chance to hang out with him and my brother-in-law for, you know, a week out at the cabin and uh, just hanging out bow hunting. Nice. You've been successful with the bow with uh, for moose? Uh, yeah, I, I've got one... Uh, one bull moose five years ago, I think. Nice. Nice. That's a good, that's a good, uh, good accomplishment there. Um, question number three, and this just came up to me kind of tonight because it's a little cooler here in Manitoba today. And, uh, the house we just moved into actually has a wood stove in it or fireplace, I I should say. So, uh, campfires or wood stoves? Wood stoves. Nice. Yeah, it's that's an easy one. There's so it makes all the difference. Um, I'm trying to buy this little tiny uh, one room cabin. Like we've got an offer on a place, and I'm hoping that we're we're gonna close on it. Just like a super simple place, but with no wood stove in it. And so that's you know my my uh, main plan is as soon as that closes, uh, lock down a small small wood stove to put into it. Yeah, it's it's tough to beat that that wood heat coming in from like a, a cool day or a um you know a, a long day in the bush whether it's cooler out or wet or whatever it is and there's just no better comfort than flashing up that wood stove and sitting by it 
warming up. Yeah, campfires are awesome in September, uh, but you know November deer camp or whatnot. You you want a nice wood stove either in your wall tent or in the cabin. Yeah, definitely. Tristan, on to you, buddy. Yeah, coming in hot. So, uh, what do you? I'm gonna take a risk here, and I, I'm assuming you're very busy. But what are you reading these days, Mark? I am reading Captain Underpants and Dogman. I have not heard of that. Can you can you explain to? How old are your your son is not quite one yet, right? Not quite one, yeah. So we're we're reading a lot of cardboard books right now that are chewable and uh, and also rip proof. Yeah. So Captain Underpants uh, and Dogman are both uh, are both books like little novel comic books. That um, Dogman is about a cop uh, who and and his partner dog who get in an explosion uh from pd the cat um their arch nemesis and they the cop damages his head and the dog damages his body and so the nurse decides to sew the dog's head onto the cop's body and now it is dogman the cop and it's all about his adventures so my time gets spent my my only leisure reading <laughs> <laughs> get spent either reading like uh hunting magazines that get mailed to me uh or reading kids kids like <laughs> ridiculous comic books <laughs> like it's it's nuts like that's all i spend my time reading <laughs> and you'll you'll get into it like you'll yeah uh there's a certain age where like my daughter is just just starting actually reading herself but they still both like to just sit down with me snuggle up for an hour at a time of just uh reading dumb kids comics book, comic books man i don't know if uh if this is going to sound like the blast from the past but uh, i kind of look forward to that because right now i'm just trying to contain my little guy because he basically just wants to crawl and bite everything so um reading is a is a challenge these days we'll say as opposed to uh that relaxed kind of uh cuddle in session you you're remarking about i feel you man i also have a one-year-old uh who is just like she's been walking for two or three months now and just climbing absolutely everything she can uh, get her hands on okay so you got it on both ends there i guess yeah exactly <laughs> all right uh you know what i got two more so i'll try to be quick here uh do you do you have a hero mark or would you classify anyone as a hero someone you look up to maybe a real like a no i don't that's a that's a yeah i i don't really i don't i don't know why that is i just don't uh i don't know you're responsible any, for your own actions man Gotta, any major uh, influences yeah tons i i don't know i don't really have any like public figures and stuff don't really do it for me it's uh i think you guys maybe asked a similar question last time it's uh you know, it's the everyday influences in, in your life that uh, have more of an impact for me. So like, you know, labeling somebody as a, a, a hero or some, some like public figure or somebody that um, has notoriety, not really for me. Like, you know, I, I think the people that have the most impact, it's the day-to-day -day stuff. So it's, uh, you know, I hope to be like a, a hero to my kids and, you know, my parents and, and, and people like that have, have had like such a you know, a really strong impact on me, but, um, you know, I, I just don't, I don't know, maybe I just don't define things as like somebody that you should like idolize as opposed to, uh, you should kind of see them for the, the person they are. And if they have an impact on you, that's great. But I don't, I, I just don't really have that kind of pedestal, um, 
mentality. Oh yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. And I think uh, we've had similar answers to before where uh, people appreciate kind of the the whole person as opposed to just uh, like, like you identify putting someone on a pedestal, but other folks really draw inspiration too. So it's interesting to see the variety of answers we get out of that question. Um, and the last one will go a little dark. What's your biggest fear? Um, uh, losing, losing my marbles. <laughs> as i under push that uh push that envelope a little or no no not at all i i just mean like legitimately like uh yeah like early onset like uh losing of capacity uh not being not being um like being here but not being here for like your family and stuff like that would be yeah th- I, I think those are I don't know. Life is super short. Uh, things can happen to you at any, any point. And, um, yeah. So my fear is just that like life changes drastically for the worse, like something major like that. Yeah. That hits home too. I could, uh, I think we've had those pull the plug conversations with, uh, some family members as well. So, um, but moving on, uh, we're glad that you're here. You're salient and you're, uh, you're able to <laughs> provide us. Most, the f- mostly. <laughs> mostly. The full behind the scenes picture of the, the Eye Hunter app in Canada here. And uh, so I guess the biggest news lately on it is that we've got a new version kind of on the, the precipice here in some ways, eh? Yeah, definitely. Um, the Android version should be live, and I think the iOS version went live as well. But I just, I, I'm not sure if Apple's actually uh, push like uh, pushing out the updates uh, for people automatically yet. So I'll, I'll check in on that later tonight. But yeah, it's uh, many many months in the making here, and uh, we did a mostly just a user interface update. Like we added some new features uh, and, and stuff, but a lot of it was streamlining of the user interface and trying to make it a little bit more easier to use, more accessible, easier to understand um, and improving performance. So we did a lot of performance improvements. Uh, uh, your buddy Keevan helped out a lot with that by supplying us his ridiculous quantity of data to use as like a, a as like the insane data set that you know we need to improve on loading because he just he logs everything like he's so thorough um it's it's really impressive just like the amount of stuff he documents and and uh it's really wicked to see somebody making such like elaborate use of of the product and then taking that and like really fine-tuning what we're doing uh, loading that data so that we can um, speed things up and make it more usable for everybody. So like hopefully people will notice uh, when they use the new version, even if you have got lots and lots of waypoints and drawings and tracks and stuff like that, it should load a lot quicker than it used to. Um, and that that extends to almost everything in the app. It, it should work uh, faster than it did before. And yeah, we hope that it's going to be a lot more useful as well. Um, we consolidated a lot of the layers, the subscriptions, the uh, land ownership maps all into like one area so that, you know, any of your additional content, uh, your additional map content is all available in the same place. Easy to turn on and off, easy to get more information about layers and, and set opacity and things like that. Um, and search is also another one that uh, has really improved. So we've got like a global search at the top of the app now that, um, 
you can use to search almost anything. Like you can search your waypoint content. So if you're really good about naming your waypoints for all your secret spots, you can uh, <laughs> search that really easily. Um, but that same search will also pull up uh, like Google location hits. So if you want to search for a, a particular road name or an intersection or um, the name of a provincial park or anything like that, just start typing. And we'll also search all of the internal boundaries in iHunter. So all of your huntable parks or your WMAs or your uh, GHA names. So if you know them by name or number, you can just start typing um, if you don't want to um, peck through the map to find your, your content. I uh, I was actually using it last night too to search lake names on uh, in Manitoba here, which is pretty awesome because I have trouble just like identifying a lake by it, by how it looks or whatever. So I was like, oh man, you know, this is gonna take me forever. And then I was like, oh, search ding and then two seconds later i was right on the lake so that's pretty awesome yeah and then the follow-up of that is like when you do a search mm. and it, it, it drops that temporary pin on the map um you can also tap on that and get you can get driving directions to that location for example it'll kick you out to um, your default map provider like apple or google or whoever whatever you're using on your device but it'll get those directions to whatever you searched uh, put right into your gps for you Using using the uh, the new updated version, the the first two things that really hit me in the face, and you've touched it on it already, but the, the a the interface was just so clean, um, in contrast to the old version, and like I, it made I don't know if it just made it easier on the the eye to use, but like, um, just looking at it made it so much more um, almost precise, allow me to focus on on those those waypoints or the, 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 the features on the map that I wanted to look at just so, so much more easier. You, you, know, you didn't love the, the wood grain from uh, 2011 uh, when it was originally put in place. I, I see you still, you carry that over to your basement, Mark, or wherever you are right now. Behind you. So I'm glad you kept that around as, you know, like a hallmark of, uh, of the uh, original iHunter app. The interesting thing with the, the user interface is like, you know, I, I can uh, praise uh, Gareth, like my user user experience guy that, that came up with this new design. I can praise him for that, but if I shit on the wood grain too much, I'm also shitting on him because it was also his original design. Like I said, he's come full circle and back, uh, back working with us uh, full time and uh, which is fantastic. But like, I always give him the gears because like, Anything that he uh, can kind of poke fun at with, like, you know, what we've been uh, released or using for the past, you know, seven, eight, nine years, um, it was his design. So it's like, you know, if he's unhappy with it, he should just be uh, unhappy with how his own design hasn't <laughs> aged well. <laughs> how, how, was the, how was the feeling between uh, the launch of the, the app then and the, the new interface now? Is it like, because I imagine back then is like, all right, this could be pretty groundbreaking here for hunting in Canada. And now it's like come like it's this kick ass tool that's always, you know, on my phone kind of thing. You know what I mean? So like how how's it feel on your end? Well, I think like with the initial releases, it was all experimentation, right? Like I don't think I was ever uh thinking um, you know, in the first couple versions, um, oh, this is groundbreaking it was more uh, can i do this is it possible uh, to build these tools and will it be useful um, so it was more like trying to figure out the market and figure out whether there was a demand for it and whether people would want it um, 
And the initial version I did, it was just like developer designed, right? So it was just myself making my own icons and like, I'll share some of that on Instagram, like the, the three different main versions that we've had. And the first version is just like, yeah, it's pretty disgusting. Like it's pretty bad for, uh, <laughs> but I'll, I'll share that as a compare and contrast anyways. Um, but yeah, I think at that point it was just proof of concept and seeing, uh, seeing what we could do. And there was no real stress about it. It was just, um, try things out. Uh, I built the first version in 30 days and got it into the app stores and got it into people's hands just as a proof of concept to see if people would like it. And that's when the commitment came and, you know, I, I quit my job and uh, decided, you know, if you're going to do this, you may as well um, put in a solid effort and, and really focus on it. And, um, but yeah, now it's, uh, it's, um, it's more stressful, a lot more stressful. I got to say, like, it's, um, it's, it's awesome. Cause I've got a really good team of guys that they're just like fantastic at what they do. Um, but I'm still, you know, in, in up to my neck, uh, still coding and testing and man doing the product management side and, um, the marketing and you know, that kind of stuff. And it's, uh, this time of year is, it used to be super fun because I would be out scouting and getting ready for my hunting season. And, uh, unfortunately, um, what's happening now is I, yeah, I'm giving up a little bit of my hunting opportunity. Um, and I, I, that, that, that really sucks. Like I was getting ready for bear hunting because, uh, you know, Nova Scotia doesn't have that many big game animals to hunt. It's not, not like the West, but you know, it's got solid whitetail hunting and there's, there's quite a few black bear as well. And as long as you put in the effort for baiting, um, you'll be able to, you should get some opportunities on some bears. Um, so I was, I was set, you know, most of the way through all of my uh, uh, baiting set up and, you know, I had my barrels and I started getting my bait together and I had some sites picked out that I was going to get out to, but um, you know, it, it takes a lot of time. Like when you're, when you're developing new spots um, and not just returning to your existing spots, uh, like it takes a lot of effort, like, you know, uh, curating a, like a bear site, uh, finding a spot, suitable and then actually going in building your uh your barriers getting your uh all of your barrels and your baits and all that kind of and your tree stands back there without a quad in my case because i i tend to do everything uh just walk in usually with a kid or two in tow like so either a five-year-old or a seven-year-old with me it doesn't make it that easy <laughs> like you, you can't get a lot done in uh in the time available and so i ended up just deciding that um the black bear baiting, I think I'm going to just wait for next year. I donated all my bait to one of my buddies out here who is setting up a bait and uh, I've helped him bear hunt out here before and uh, decided to, you know, just get him all the bait. And uh, if, you know, if he has a, more than one bear coming into his bait, maybe I'll go sit with him, uh, get a couple nights to sit or something like that. But um, this way it'll give me a little bit more time to focus on uh, the moose hunt with my dad and then uh, get some whitetail hunting in out here. Yeah. I, I feel you on the kid friend, man. I, I've just like last year was the first kind of year where I started taking my kids to the woods with me, like more religiously kind of thing. And, uh, everything takes at least twice as long to do minimum. So <laughs> expectations yeah, are set very low every time I head out. <laughs> and you never know when your, your adventure is cut short. Yeah. Like immediately, like, you know, there's all sorts of ways that a kid can uh, pull the shoot on your, uh, on your <laughs> adventure. <laughs> oh yeah. I'm, I'm kind of curious, um, 
did you do the old uh when you're out you know finding another whitetail spot or your bear hunting spots and just like whipped out your phone and opened up the app and just like man am i glad i made this thing (laughs) (laughs) yeah well definitely yes uh you know i'm sure that like there are other products out there that uh can do some or that do some of what we do and some that do more than what we do and um you know there's yeah like i i'm pretty like built i built the iHunter to solve a problem right and it's usually to solve my own problems and uh but lots of times it's also you know customer requests and things like that like we're we're not building um a product to to match feature for feature with other products like you know even the uh, bigger us companies um Onyxes and hunt stands and uh, base maps and, and whatnot is, you know, a lot of them have some features that we don't, and that's okay. Um, I, I don't mind that at all because, uh, you know, I think that we have our own set of problems or our own uh, Canada-specific uh, issues that we need to solve and that we need to uh, work with and work around. Some of the data limitations that we have here, you know, there's a certain amount of things we can do and certain amount of things we can't do. Um, and there's certain feature sets that I don't think are that useful, uh, here, like stand management and stuff like booking systems for hunting stands. I don't know for me, that's not like a big core feature, but you know, maybe people do use that. Um, I'm, I'm starting to learn that there are, uh, like out East here, for example, there are differences in how people hunt here than how people hunt in the West. Right. Obviously, you know, that there are going to be differences, but, um, one of those things is that people west, like say Alberta, Saskatchewan, there's a lot more, uh, and Manitoba as well, I'm sure, a lot more travel and vis- visibly looking for animals and trying to figure out where animals and habitat, good habitat is and figuring out where you'd want to hunt and then seeking out permission. And I, maybe that happens here uh, to a certain extent as well, but um in nova scotia in particular i think a lot of the hunting um a lot of it happens on land that you already have permission on it's like the the it's the woodlot that your family has had in its in its hands for uh a hundred years or it's you know the the hunt camp that is always set up in the same uh same spot in crown land and it's a little bit more traditional i find but I could be wrong. You know, I'm, I'm still getting to know uh, people out here and getting to know uh, like the individuals that are getting into hunting and individuals that, you know, have these longstanding uh, traditional spots that they always return to. And there's different demand, like different needs for, for people in different cases. Maybe the people out here do, you know, manage, have 20 different stands in a small area. And maybe because they have a hunt camp, like, 10 people that share those stands, maybe a booking system makes sense. It just, I've never had those requests. And so I don't see the, um, I don't see the demand or we're not getting the requests for those types of features. So we're not Mm -hmm. spending engineering time working on features that uh, people aren't actually asking for. What is the, uh, what's the the opportunity like out there? You said there's some fairly good whitetail opportunities and, and uh, the odd black bear rolling around, but could, uh, you know, if, if a guy went there not knowing much about Nova Scotia, is it pretty easy to find some public land out that way and, and uh, find a spot to hunt? Yeah, absolutely. There's a ton of crown land here. Um, I'm still, you know, I've explored uh, a few parcels um, here and there, like the, the areas that I'm scouting out, and I've had success in finding sign in those places that I'm scouting out. Um, there is a lot of crown land, and I, I don't think a lot of people know 
about all of it and the people that do are using it and maybe just not really publicly uh, talking about it. So I think that I still have educate, I still have to educate myself more on seeing that land during hunting season because um, last time I was out here, I only, I was a non-resident. So I only got to hunt for a week under somebody else's um, license or like hunter host license or whatnot. Mm -hmm. And so I did that week, I hunted on private land, but I set up my own stands and baits and whatnot and uh, just had a friend uh, be that that host for me this year I'm a resident so I can actually uh, spend more time and investigate and and uh, hopefully you know get my own spot set up um, but yeah there is lots of opportunity out here but it does still take work because there are a lot of these entrenched camps and stuff and I don't want to be that guy that uh, you know shows up on opening day that hasn't scouted an area or even if I have scouted an area you don't know who else is using it right like mm -hmm. so it might it may be that these prime uh, crown land spots um, that I have found and scouted and that I plan on hunting it may be that you know opening day there's a bunch of people around or, or you pull up to the the staging area that is always empty and maybe there's going to be a bunch of trucks and quads there you don't like I, I'm still learning that and I don't have a lot of other people out here um, like I haven't built my hunting network uh, out yeah, here yeah. I've just been too focused on other stuff so yeah the obviously the village that you or the town that you live in there is obviously a, a fishing heavy um, place but is there do you feel like uh, there's um a large hunting culture out there compared to Calgary or is it similar or how would you compare those two? Yeah, there definitely is. I think it's more the norm, like it, that people, like it is more rural. The average population is more rural. Like, you know, you don't have big cities, like, you know, Halifax is kind of your only really big city and all the other ones are kind of like smaller towns that still have rural influence and still have, um, you know, uh, huge forest tracts and um, and stuff nearby so um, but you know I'm still I'm still learning I, I, I don't know uh, everything about uh, and not that you can really know everything about uh, a group of people or an area or whatnot but there's definitely less metropolitan influence uh, mm -hmm. out here and, and less uh, yeah city dwellers that are just like leaving the city to go hunt I think most people out here they hunt because they've always hunted and they hunt because um, they have the woodlot and they've been raised uh, in more of a, yeah, more of a rural atmosphere. So it's, it's like rural Alberta or Saskatchewan or, or whatnot where, yeah, that's just part of the lifestyle. But I think it's a larger proportion is just part of the lifestyle. Yeah. Is it, is it kind of, how does it feel to be out in the wilderness there kind of um, either scouting for whitetail or bear or whatever? Is it a similar landscape or, kind of give us a quick walkthrough of that how does it feel out there yeah it does not feel the same as uh like what like as alberta or any of the prairie provinces it's um the forest that you're like most crown land is going to be forested there's not uh, it's not like crown land um in alberta where you can get up onto a peak and you can just see for you know thousands and thousands of um meters in any direction and you can you can just get good vantage points it's thick forest brush almost everywhere like I, I i've heard you guys talk about some of your elk and moose hunting and just this thick forest and it, it's like that because it's a mix of um pines and spruces but also 
everything else like yeah. all your uh, hardwood shrubbery and hardwood like oaks and maples and um but all of that that underbrush that is just like uncurated and unmanaged in a lot of places and it's thick there's a lot of places you just like i i walk in there and i'm just like what am i doing like this <laughs> this was a bad move i remember like the first the first forest walk i ever did out here was when like on our last trip like four or five years ago and i had my daughter on my back who was who was two and she's in the the backpack and i'm going scouting this area and luckily she fell asleep because she would not have been happy because it was just like you were getting hit all over the place and you're ducking and it's just like i you felt like lost almost because it was just like yeah very hard to walk through not all places are like that but like a lot of the experiences i'm having is you get into a place it might start off looking pretty okay but it, it can get pretty thick and unwieldy you thought you were going to punch through to the other side, didn't you? I do that all the time. Yeah, or you see something on iHunter and you're like, oh, it looks like there's a meadow back there, but it's just like less pine trees. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's actually just a, a willow forest. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And, you know, those things are pretty awesome to walk through. <laughs> I I actually had to Google how whitetails got to nova scotia because like I, i'm even having a hard time conceiving of whitetail hunting out there um and it's interesting because they said that like they 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 were crossing one of the the bridges to get out there i can't remember what they called it um, probably from new brunswick to uh nova scotia like the um i can't i can't actually remember what that uh i'm gonna butcher this but it says dr google here said that uh, they crossed via the shig necto is ismus so i'm guessing that's some sort of uh uh land bridge but actually the the main herd came from introductions from hunting hunter lobbyists so that's kind of interesting to hear that uh, the the hmm. the whitetail is actually mainly introduced by hunters to, to nova scotia that's really interesting actually and i, I didn't know that and uh, uh um yeah i'm still learning a lot about this but i, I I guess the question would be where'd the bears come from then? <laughs> I, I, have no idea. I don't think we're introducing bears anywhere. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Maybe they follow the deer. Hard to say. My guess is that there were deer here that were then extirpated or near extirpated. And then they uh, maybe restocked from somewhere else. Yeah that, yeah. that would probably be the case, but who knows. Are, are some of these like hunting opportunities or hunt camps, like on the, like abutting to the coast? Like, do they, I would say that more of the hunting is uh, interior, um, so not not as much on the coast. Like uh, Nova Scotia has a ton of lakes and rivers and um, internal, uh, yeah, just huge forest tracks. Um, but that being said, the the county that I'm in, Lunenburg County, which, like I said, is uh, pretty um, high in populations for white-tailed deer. Yeah, a lot of those deer are on these. Uh, more coastal areas that have been cleared and, and developed for either farming or um, uh, yeah, just different landscape where it doesn't have just like an in, insanely thick forest everywhere. And um, yeah, um, there's a lot of like, you know, city deer as well, right? Like uh, we're a super small town, but um, yeah, deer in the town all the time, right? So most of the time when I come out of my workshop, if, if I'm out there working on something and I come in at midnight or one in the morning, there's often deer on my lawn as like in between me and the house. And it's, uh, 
have to have a little standoff. <laughs> so in theory, a guy could do like a uh, a morning sit in the stand and then go check the lobster traps in the afternoon kind of scenario. I would assume, but I, I'm not a lobster man, and uh, and um, I ha- I haven't yet developed any uh, permissions this close to the to town yet. Most of mine are uh, internal um, forest forest lots. How how is the per- permission game in uh, Lunenburg? Um, it hasn't gone super well yet. Uh, <laughs> There's there's some areas close to town that like you know the so the area around Lunarburg is um, um, there's a lot of international money I suppose like where uh, a lot of properties that are bought from Amer- by Americans and Germans and um, a few other groups and um, you know a lot of people that spend money on prime real estate like you know ocean views and all that kind of stuff that is like all right by where where we're at. Um, yeah, a lot of people don't want hunters and some of the parcels are a little bit smaller as well. Like you're talking uh, six to 30 acre parcels, um, which are still like 30 acres is great. And you, you can you can have a lot of good opportunities there. But if you're on a, a small parcel and then the neighbor has a has a building um, just beyond the property line, you also have to factor in, um, you know, 200 meters for for bow hunting from a residence. 400 meters for uh, rifle hunting so that that can um, start limiting where you can hunt on some of these smaller on some of these areas that are divided up in smaller parcels Um, so you you definitely have to pay attention to stuff like that and use satellite imagery to kind of figure out um, well where are all the residences and and who do I have to get permission from in order to even hunt like even if I get permission to hunt on this land how many other parcels do I need to talk to to uh, ensure that they're okay with me hunting there? But, you know, that can be anywhere. Uh, you know, I know a lot of the places near and, and around Calgary and Edmonton are kind of like that as well. And um, anytime that you're hunting near where you want to live, like, you know, near uh, a cool center or a center that is, um, yeah, a little bit more uh, urban or, or whatnot, those are the things you have to work around and, yeah, so I, I haven't nailed it down yet, but I haven't put in the amount of effort that I need to. I've got a couple spots that I can hunt this year that I'm happy about. And um, as long as, and then I'll maybe save some of the uh, exploring for this, for the off season when I have a little bit more time to uh, talk to people. Shifting back to the app for a second, like uh, a couple of features that we're really excited about in recent years here have been the the introduction of not only the the public land subscription, but now in Manitoba, we're also looking at the landowner maps as well. Um, before we dive into those, though, I'm curious have you have you gotten any flack from uh, either users or potential users who are concerned about the uh, either their their hunting sequence being unveiled now that all this this data is now publicly and readily available is or has it been mainly supportive i haven't heard anything negative at all from anybody in manitoba um i we have had instances of that in in alberta uh in particular just because the app has been um, a bit more robust in alberta for a longer time and so like i think uh there's a a bit of an initial shock like when um you know when new features like that are released and you get an influx of people uh, using a certain resource. Um, The main resource that uh, has become limited in Alberta or has become kind of overused is uh, lease land. 
So provincial grazing leases that, um, you know, leaseholders, uh, farmers, they pay to use uh, these leases for grazing cattle and they have rights as a result of that. They have um, the, the right to manage that uh, property, uh, but they also have some responsibilities uh, for granting access, reasonable recreational access. But um, the system Alberta has in place is a little bit, um, it, it really puts a lot of burden on those leaseholders. So they are getting overwhelmed with requests. Like, you know, we, we are making it very obvious to hunters that this is huntable land and that you have the, the right to access this as long as you follow these certain uh, conditions. And as long as you contact the leaseholder ahead of time to explain, and, you know, they can only deny permission for a set number of reasons like if there's cattle on the lease um if they have somebody working on the lease if there's an actual fire ban in place like a, a municipal fire ban in place they can restrict access um certain types of hunting they could re restrict depending on there's a variety of things um but by but by really highlighting one one type of resource like that uh it puts a big burden on, on those leaseholders and, and not, they're not all happy about it. Right. Like it's some of them have gone from getting uh, 20 calls a year to getting 300 calls a year. And I mean, if you, if you own one of the, or have uh lease one of these parcels near Calgary or near Edmonton, where you've hmm. got, um, you know, thousands and thousands of hunters looking for that place that's within 40 minute uh, drive of their house, which is, what we're all looking for, right? Like, you know, as bow hunters in particular, like you need to get, you need to find a property that you can get to in 40 minutes so that you can sit for those two or three hours and get back to your family or get back to, to whatever else you have going on. And um, yeah, so like, I think there is a risk that, you know, by making things super available, you can, and, and highlighting certain types of land, you can put undue stress on those resources. And, and that is something we're, we're struggling with in Alberta. Um, and then, yeah, uh, there are for sure some people that are just unhappy because the spots that they've always used um, are now getting pressure from a lot more hunters. And it was always their honey hole or their secret spot. And now it's a little bit more obvious where it is. Um, I don't I don't have uh, much empathy for them um, because because I am that guy as well. Right. Like all of my, I'm publishing all of my spots. Like all of the places that I hunt that have been my spots for the past 10 years or even 20 years, like, you know, the spaces that my dad and his hunting partners have shown me, I'm making it more available for the average hunter or the new hunter to be able to find those spots. So um, I'm kind of taking it on the chin in that sense as well. And uh, I kind of see it more as an opportunity to explore new areas. Like if, an area that you found 10 years ago and that has been great for you and you've had success in um, is starting to get more pressure. Well, you also have the tools to find that next spot that's a little bit less pressured and that uh, you can then make um, more use of. I think like successful hunters tend to be the ones that um, are willing to go that little bit of extra mile. I know that, uh, you know, I try to make it more convenient to find places to hunt that's kind of my main objective because I want more I want more people in this space I want more people um just doing the types of things that I like doing because I think they're awesome <laughs> like I, I love mm -hmm. hunting and I think that um more people that try it will like it yeah. but there's a big barrier to entry 
like it is hard if you do not know uh, where you can go hunt and if you do not have a mentor good luck like it's a challenge so I don't know I I there is some pushback but I think that people that are just upset about um, exposing data I don't know I can, I can share the flip side of the coin too, which is like, I know when we started reaching out to our networks in Manitoba here to share that the, the landowner maps were coming in, in a digital format. Um, there was like this, this mix of like joy and disbelief that the, the almost archaic paper map system that we've had in place for so long in Manitoba was being overtaken by like this digital version. And now we were going to be able to not only use it um, and access it instantly, but use it in like a meaningful way as well too, which didn't involve four different sets of highlighters and uh, a bunch of different, you know, colored pens or something like that. Well, I think the interesting thing about this is that it's, they're still paper maps. Like they are still the same map, um, especially in Manitoba. Like for Manitoba, we've partnered with ReproMap who, you know, makes the vast majority of landowner maps in, in the province. Um, and so we are, we're working pretty tightly with them. And um, so these are still the same content that you would have in that paper map. map. But like you say, the experience is, a, is just like night and day. It's um, just being able to, to see that landowner map, but adjust the opacity so that you can see uh, the satellite imagery below the map on its own is is huge because you've got the property boundary lines, you know who owns it, you've figured out where you want to go hunt, but you can also see what does that spot actually look like on the satellite without having to jump between, uh, like try to figure out, well, what quarter is this on this paper map and then go to some other uh, digital tool to just to actually be looking at habitat and looking at um, access and and where you might be able to set up for you know, name your hunt for bear baiting, for deer hunting, for elk hunting. Mm-hmm. I've, I've definitely been in some, uh, some, uh, situations where I've had like no clue whose like property I was on, unfortunately to say, but like, so some of the areas that, uh, that I do hunt, you know, there's, there's no visual boundaries in some of them. And eventually you walk far enough and you're just like, there's no way I got to start heading back kind of thing. Like if I, I, I'm fairly certain that if I get something here, it's going to be trouble kind of thing. You know what I mean? So I think it's going to, it'll save my bacon for sure. Having that feature in my pocket out there. I do know what you mean. It's, it's, there was a time, you know, when tools like this didn't uh, exist, there was justification for um, accidental trespass and, and whatnot, because like how how are you expected not to if things aren't marked uh, on fence lines and um, if you're not encountering fence lines and whatnot like yeah it's really hard to to tell uh, a hunter you can't access you can't trespass on private land but we're not going to tell you where it is mm-hmm. so it, it can be a real challenge and it took it maybe did take more legwork to focus on to, to try to iron out those details before your hunt and try to figure out those um, things. So if we can remove some of those obstacles, what, what our hope is, is that there is less um, infringement on people's personal property rights. Cause like people do have the right to not have uh, people hunting on their property if they, if they don't want them to. And um, you know, at least if people have these kind of tools where they can, um, 
they can see with some some degree of certainty you know where where they are um hopefully people aren't like actively trespassing mm-hmm. yeah i think yeah, it- i can think i can think of times where i've got turned around before we had the cacheable maps and uh figured out quickly that we were on someone else's property and i'm the only thing that went through my mind was oh dear god i don't want to turn up on this person's trail cam or something like that <laughs> they'd be posting pictures of me on the internet do you recognize this guy <laughs> Like, yeah, it would be I, nice. To, it would be nice, to, like, to, to say that you know, it would be great if you could just hunt on everybody's land. And in some jurisdictions, you can. And even in Nova Scotia, there is um, there's some gray area in terms of trespass and hunting. Like, you if it's if a piece of land isn't uh, posted as no hunting, uh, you can actually go on private land and you can hunt that private land as long as it's not. Um, like as long as it's forest land, basically, like it's not being actively used for something or managed or uh, used for a dwelling or a camp or anything like that. And so you, you, there are some, some differences in, in different provinces, but, you know, in provinces like uh, Manitoba, Alberta, Saskatchewan, Saskatchewan's changing. So it is becoming more um, like they used to allow, allow you to access people's land and you, you could hunt on that. I, I don't actually, I shouldn't uh, put my foot in my mouth here. In Manitoba, are you allowed uh, accessing people's private land for hunting without permission? No. Yeah, I gathered I gathered as much. I think Saskatchewan was kind of like the lone um, prairie province that, that didn't have that rule in place, and uh, they've put that in place recently. That brings you right into like an, another question I, I had lined up, which is like you've spent kind of the better part of a decade here, I'm guessing, studying the various hunting legislation and uh, whatnot from various provinces or do you notice any kind of like real differences or idiosyncrasies to uh to, to any of these provinces does anything really pop out to you like that's kind of unique to some of these areas or do you almost feel like you're a bit of a uh policy expert in some some ways or do you are you still far off on that yeah, I'm not a policy expert uh, by any means. Like I am at the time that I'm uh, uh, curating that piece of data, but I, it doesn't all stay in my head. Like there's um, there's a lot of it that is just um, manual parsing of data and conversion of that data into uh, formats. And, and you have to understand it at the time and you've got to um, go through that. But also a lot of that is being handled by Chad, uh, who, who's taken over a lot of the regulation parsing side of things. I, I often will kind of choose one or two jurisdictions that I will uh, kind of more thoroughly review in case we've been missing like some um, piece of the regulations that we, you know, just haven't, maybe something that we're just not showing and that we would be helpful. So oftentimes I'll go in and just try to review and find some extra content that we might want to add uh, for the next season. Like, a, you know, it might be a supplementary uh, regulation uh, for spring uh, snow goose or something like that. Uh, yeah. Just kind of trying to see if there's extra stuff, but Chad's doing a lot of the regulation parsing. So he might be a bit more of a policy expert uh, on some of those things. And he might have like a, a little bit more of a, an idea, but um, there are differences in different jurisdictions, and sometimes you wonder like why one one province might make something way more complicated, and another province uh, might make it um, just super simple. But as you guys know, talking to a lot of your guests, there are reasons for a lot of these things. It's uh, where the flyways meet, and and how the federal uh, regulations line up with the bounds of your province, and how uh, 
you know, there's all sorts of things that um, impact how these regulations are set. And um, every province has their own set of like super unique circumstances that they're dealing with. And, you know, they need, they need, uh, that's why states and provinces need to manage their own regulations, right? For, for, for most species is because they have their own set, unique set of um, considerations they need to take into account for. Now, Mark, I, you know, sometimes I kind of have, uh, when people talk to me about uh, iHunter that are, you know, maybe um, beginner users or that have never used iHunter at all, um, I personally have, like, I guess because I, I've kind of had the the best version available to me the entire, throughout the, the life of the iHunter app. But if you were to kind of break it down between like your the the base app, the public land subscription, and the landowner subscription, can you like just break that down and 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 talk about the the different layers there that are that you get when you get those upgrades? Yeah, definitely. Uh, like the base app, which is like five dollars one time fee. So that's uh, you, you pay for it once and you have it for life, or in this case, for people that bought it early on, they've had it for 10 years for five bucks. Uh, that's mostly about like the information that would be in your uh, hunting regulations booklet. Like, so the things that map out like your actual hunting zones, season summaries, that kind of stuff. Um, you know, we have the season summary. So you tap on any GHA in the province and you can see everything that's available to hunt the season dates, um, what species are available, links to your actual PDF uh, documents um, so that you have those available offline. So if you're out in the bush, you can actually just pull up your full regulation documents. So you have everything uh, there. Um, all of your waypointing, tracking, um, sunrise, sunset calculators, uh, all of your base maps. But what it doesn't give you, it doesn't give you anything about um, uh, ownership or or where specifically you can hunt. You know, a lot of like we we do show some of the WMAs and things like that in the base app, but um, and in in different provinces we show some other uh, where you can hunt stuff. But the bulk of the where you can hunt or where you cannot hunt uh, is is in the public land subscription. So the public land subscription goes into more detail about showing like hunting relevant parcels of land that, uh, you know, if you don't want, like it, say you don't have any private land permission or, or you don't have any intention of like asking permission from private landowners or you want to find publicly available places to hunt, the public land subscription does a good job of showing good chunks of that. Like, so it might not be every single parcel because we might not be able to get all of the parcel data for that. Like the province might not provide it or we just haven't uh, curated that yet. But, um, you know, it'll show things like provincial forests and it'll show things like uh, provincial parks or uh, wildlife management areas that do allow hunting. And it'll show um, if there are, um, yeah, so it's more about like uh, actually trying to show you parcels of land that you can and cannot hunt. And that's uh, the public land subscription in Manitoba also includes all of the private land boundaries. So you do have all of those boundaries available for you, which which makes it uh, quite convenient when you are talking to a landowner or you're talking to somebody else like, OK, well, this is where this property stops. We know that we did get permission on this quarter section or section of land. 
but like we got to be aware of where this property line it's not fenced but we shouldn't go beyond this point um, so it gives you that advantage as well uh, the public land subscription I, I think in manitoba we've got it at 15 dollars annual fee um, you know i think that it gives a pretty good value for the amount of um, the amount of parcel data that's included and then also it gives a little bit more extra information like if you tap on a parcel it'll tell you uh, whether you can or cannot hunt there or what that is like uh, what is a public shooting ground do you guys know i didn't i didn't really like you know that's a new land type for me because it, it, it only exists in manitoba really but like you know these are things that were put into legislation in the 30s to make sure that there were land set aside and they're called public shooting grounds but really they're areas that people can go hunt and that they can um but it's entrenched in law and it would be very, very difficult to remove some of those protections. So we try to like compile a much, as much of that kind of stuff in one package as possible. Also at the time we didn't have land ownership maps, right? So like, you know, we're, we're still trying to package things in a way that we can make a little bit of money off of it. We need to make some revenue for the, uh, the effort that we're putting in into compiling all of this data and making it useful and you know, subsidizing the rest of the development of the product, like the features of waypointing and tracking and drawing and all that kind of stuff, the engineering work that goes into that, you still need something to, to bring in some revenue. And then landowner maps are like a different level because uh, mainly because they, they give the uh, detail of who actually owns the land, the private land. So it'll have your public land inf information, a lot of the same stuff that um, the public land subscription provides you but just as a layer on the map. So if you, if you buy a landowner map and you don't have the public land subscription, you can read the map, like the, the landowner map will say like uh, uh, the name of the provincial park or the name of the WMA will be on the map. But if you tap on that, you won't be able to get that additional information that's built into the public lands layer. So the context of um, like whether ATVs are allowed on that land or not, or mm -hmm. the context of, um, there's lots of different things like whether fires are allowed. So right. lots of that kind of content is only available in the public land subscription. So the combination of the two is really powerful, but you know, if you only hunt in, in one RM and you typically hunt on private land or you're, you're more interested in um, yeah, scoping things out for private, for private land hunting, then, you know, one of the land ownership, a single land ownership map will probably do you. But if you're, uh, you know, most of us are kind of hunting where the animals are and where you see them and um, you need a little bit more information about uh, the public lands and the private lands. Yeah. And and the public land subscription, that that's it's uh, priced equivalently as the paper maps are. Is that correct? Uh, the public land subscription is $15 per year for the entire province. So it's a province-wide product. And then the landowner maps, they range from $15 to $45. So again, like I said before, we're, we're partnering with uh, like a map publisher, map producer. So they make these maps. You know, they make their revenue by selling paper maps. That's a tra traditionally, right? And so we're not coming in and trying to uh, steal their market. We're trying to help them continue to make sales and continue to be relevant. And I think that a lot of paper map producers have hesitancy of um, going digital because, you know, that's not their core expertise. That's not what mm -hmm. they've been doing in the past. They don't know how to sell digital um, or, or they don't want to make the investment in paying a development company 
you know, $100,000 or something to, to make um, a piece of software to, to do this. So we're partnering with them. We're incorporating their landowner maps in the app. We're also making a ReproMap branded app for them. So something very similar to iHunter that they're going to be able to also sell their content um, within their own app so that they can target, you know, other non-hunting markets like realtors and, um, you know, some of their traditional uh, customer base. Right. One other thing I kind of noticed was it was pretty interesting when I when you guys uh, brought on the the landowner map subscriptions, but it was, I think it was uh part of the public land subscription because um if i remove the landowner map layers i was able to see like other parcels like the uh nature conservancy stuff that was available to hunt you still i think need permission on that but it's still considered like a, a huntable piece of land yeah, so one of the layers in the public land subscription is like private conservation lands, and uh, that's a mix of I don't have it in front of me, so I can't I can't say it off off by heart. But there's three or four different organizations in there. Um, I think those parcels are shown in orange uh, on the map. Um, and and so if you tap on one of those, you'll you'll be able to get the details of who do you need to contact to get permission for that land. Like it might have the phone number for the NCC, or it might list the website that you need to go to in order to make a reservation or to uh, get permission. Or it might say that this land is not available for hunting, mm-hmm. but at least if you have that data in there, it saves you that extra step of having to, to do that extra piece of research. Yeah. And and I've, I've never hunted a piece of it yet, but I will say there is a shitload across the province that that's on there. So it's, it's definitely something that I'll, I'll be investigating in the areas that I do spend some, some time in. Um, the other cool thing that I realized, uh, noticed lately too, or recently was the, uh, the addition of the CWD and TB test sites, drop-off points across the province too, which is a huge help for me because we, we do quite a bit of, uh, interprovincial travel, I guess you call it. So we hunt province wide and, and, uh, just having the different areas that, you know, instead of driving half an hour in the opposite direction you know we can quickly reference the app and and find something a little closer kind of thing yeah cwd is something that like we've been struggling with in alberta for a long time like you know we went through the calls in uh, 2000 what was it five to seven or eight or something like that and yeah it's, it's a big deal and you know our government has put significant resources into at least monitoring and tracking like the spread of CWD. And it's, it's kind of crazy when you see it just traveling down river valleys, traveling West, like from the, it used to be just a couple zones in the Eastern province. And then it just slowly trickles up your river valleys and it's now past Edmonton and Calgary and into those zones and into, um, so yeah, it is important for people to have visibility and awareness of like where where they need to take take their uh, either the heads or the the lymph nodes or whatnot that they're taking out of um, their animals and, and submitting. And yeah, we we hadn't done that in Manitoba until maybe last year was the first year I can't remember. But um, yeah, as provinces add some more of the, that type of information and add that into the regulations. Again, those are things that we're, we try to review, uh, you know, as we're updating this every year and trying to find out new things that should be added. So if people do have ideas as to, you know, other things that are relevant and that should be included in the app or other resources, like 
yeah, we're, we're open to that. And if people want to help us um, develop that content side of things and, and make recommendations, we're, we're definitely open to that. Um, I did have a couple other things, just a couple tips for the landowner maps I wanted to give out because a lot of people don't like, as a developer and, and a user of iHunter for a long time, I, uh, you know, I, I kind of, I see how things happen in the background. And um, so a lot of the boundaries in iHunter are built into the app, right? Like they're uh, no need for cellular connection or anything like that. Like a lot of like the, your uh, GHA boundaries and all the parcel data for uh um, the public land subscription, all that kind of stuff is built in, but there are some layers that aren't right that, that do get downloaded remotely as you go and as you look at the map. So like the, the private uh, cadastral boundaries for the public land subscription, like the, the private land layer, those boundaries get downloaded dynamically like as you go, but you can also press the manage cache button for that, um, that layer. And then you can bulk download like a region of the map. So if you know you're going to hunt an area and you want those private land boundaries available, even if you lose all of your cellular service, you can select a region and you can pre-download that area. And you can do the same with the uh, land ownership map. So those get downloaded on the fly. Like as you look at the map, you know, tiles of that, like little sections of imagery get downloaded to your phone and, um, and save theirs for the future so that you uh, anything that you look at will be available. But there's also in the manage cache button for landowner maps, you can press the download entire map button. And so that'll just take the, hmm. all of the tiles that are on the server um, and it'll dump them onto your phone so that you've got a full copy of it. So that, yeah, you do that once as soon as you buy the map and um, then you have no, no issue if you lose cellular connection in the field. Nice. That's so awesome. that would be tip number one is the bulk download. The other one would be uh, boundary. All of the boundaries in iHunter, you can change the colors. Like you can customize all of your layers and boundaries if you want to. Like, you know, we try to choose a pretty usable set of colors, but we also recognize that there's a lot of people out there uh, or a subset of the population that don't see uh, reds and greens or blues and yellows properly. And so like, not properly, but different than everybody else. Um, and so we do want to make it accessible. So you can always choose modify boundary color in the details for any of your layer. And you can change uh, any layer to any other color if it helps you in some way. Like if you really want to highlight something, uh, you can do that. And, and, and uh, yeah. And the third tip would be in the new interface, we made it a lot easier to set your default map region or like where iHunter starts. So there's a few different options for that. Like by default, iHunter just loads the entire province and you, you get your province view and then you zoom in to wherever you want to go. Um, but a lot of people didn't realize that you could set iHunter to either uh, start up at your current location. So it'll find your GPS location. And then as soon as it finds that, it'll zoom the map right into your location. So that's super useful if you're traveling around all the time and you always want it to just like, show where you are um, and then the the third option is you can set it to, to custom any custom location you want so like if you know that you're going to a hunt camp in a certain area and you're going to be there for a week what i always do is i zoom in on that area and then in the uh in the new interface it's the second uh button on the on, on the bottom toolbar there it's the viewing uh or view map uh tab i guess 
there's a add map startup region or add uh, map view. You press that button and it'll uh, save your current map view and you can set a name for it. So you could say like whatever Chase's hunting camp or wh whatever you want to call it. And you can set that as your default map view. So every time you launch, it'll, it'll go to that location. And then, you know, you're done that trip. You set, you can set your map view for somewhere else. So it's just always quick when it starts up and you're not having to, to fight the app to get what the data you want. Mm -hmm. One other thing too, I wanted to mention, I know Tristan was kind of leaning in for, uh, for something there quick, but while we're on this topic too, of, uh, of uh, um, the usability of iHunter, I think one um, feature that we haven't touched on and I think is very valuable too is uh, just the web platform that you guys have available that is, um, you know, you can exchange all your, your waypoints on there. And, you know, it, obviously having the app on the phone is uh, is amazing, but I think it's there's huge value in, in uh, being able to hop on your laptop or your desktop or whatever and pull up all the same waypoints, all the same tracks and also do some e-scouting on there and just get, you know, behind a different screen and, uh, and yeah, just go to work. Yeah, that it's, way. A, it's a bigger interface. You get the full view. It's similar, you know, more similar to browsing Google earth or, or whatnot. Um, but yeah, just having all of the same content on the both, you do need to log in on your mobile app. So like there's an iHunter login, um, internal to the app and you log in there and you use those same credentials on the website and everything synchronizes. If you purchase landowner maps on your phone, they'll be available on the website and vice versa. You can purchase the maps on uh, the website. Um, I, I don't, yeah. So for Alberta and Saskatchewan, I think we've got them at a lower price point uh, on the website. I think Manitoba, they're just the same price, but uh, we do appreciate you making the purchases on the web because uh, we make a bit more money. Like we don't have to pay uh, as big of processing fees and then we can split that revenue with the uh, map publisher as well so it's it's better for everybody except for apple and google interesting yeah uh, but the Damn web it. yeah the web app um we definitely have made some progress on it this year and we're we have a update for that coming as well we'll probably be deploying that more like mid-season or something like that um yeah we just really wanted to focus on the mobile apps uh first this year yeah yeah and i guess I, I'm sure like another question that a lot of people have here too is, you know, what happens if my phone crashes or, or, you know, I lose the app or lose the phone or whatever there. So that is, if you're, if you're signed in all your waypoints and all your tracks and everything is all cached remotely. So when you sign back into another device, boom, it's there. Yeah, exactly. Waypoints and preferences are all linked to your, uh, login inside of the app purchases that you make on your phone like if you purchase a landowner map um, on your android phone that purchase is actually tied to like the android the the google play account that you are logged in on your phone with mm. so it's a it's a little confusing and it, it's we, we try to um so so if you make a purchase on your android phone for a map uh, that is tied to that Google account. But if you then decide to switch to iOS and you have logged in uh, with an iHunter account on both devices, both Android and iOS, that purchase will get shared to your other device. So nice. we, we try to share the purchases across, but if you change, if you actually, if you continue using an Android device that you've made map purchases on, but you change your Google play account, like you use a new Google play ID for whatever reason, like a, 
you just change your email address, that purchase won't be available there. Cause like we have to right. use that ID to query the system and say, yeah, yeah. what purchases do they have? And if you actually change your Google play account or your Google account, uh, those purchases won't be there. So it, I kind of fumbled my way through that. It's, it is actually confusing because Apple and Google, they don't want you to share purchases no. uh, to other, other devices, right? They want their 30% cut off everything. So yeah, that's wild. Um, I wanted to kind of poke your developer brain here a little bit, Mark, and um, ask about, we, we've dived in really into like the utility and the functionality of the app here quite deeply. And uh, I love it. We, I know Chase and myself are huge proponents of the app wherever we go. Um, we, we've, we talk about it <laughs> basically all the time when we're chatting hunting and how integral it is to, to, to the way we hunt. Um, I've noticed, I have a theory that there's, there's a, when it, there's a few people that maybe, I don't want to say balk at the app, but maybe don't fully appreciate the depth of the app. And I think they, they tend to fall into two categories when I chat with them. One of them is they're, they're either too new to hunting to realize just how important it is to be able to manage your, your land and uh, your permission and your access and your waypoints all in one centralized location like that, or they're, they're not a fans of technology. So they, they get kind of intimidated by uh, an app of some sort. The one thing I noticed with this new version is that it is maybe the most intuitive um, kind of mapping source that I've, I've dealt with in a long time. Did you pay special attention to making it that intuitive? Like it seems just super accessible now in so many different ways. Um, this new interface. Yeah, like I, w I would agree with that. I think like that's the entire point of the update this year was, um, yeah, to streamline things, make it a little bit more usable. There's certain views and certain features that we haven't gotten into yet. So you'll notice like you uh, add a waypoint, the way add waypoint screen is the same. And it, because I think we had a pretty solid implementation there, but um, yeah, the, the main app, like the main top layer of how you navigate and interact with uh, your content, um, it was really cumbersome. And, you know, I think that was just from years and years of adding on. So this year we're adding this thing and where do we put it? Well, the same place we put everything in the, in the menu in the top left corner, which people don't find. And, you know, we just didn't do, we didn't do a great job of um, redesigning when we actually needed to. And so, you know, we maybe left it a little bit too long and uh, I hope that the new interface will make it a little bit easier for people to understand. And that new user won't get intimidated by, by what's there and hopefully can discover, um, what's available a little bit better. The other barrier to that is just like by having paid content, um, it is a little bit harder to, to tell people or show people the value of things because there, a lot of people are still not, not wanting to make purchases uh, inside of software. Like, you know, in-app purchases, they're still not really on board with that. And I get it. Like nobody really likes to spend money, but we, we do try to keep the prices as low as we possibly can. Um, landowner maps were, were pretty fixed on price because we're, we're working with a third party publisher and they need to make their revenue. We need to make some revenue. Google and Apple take their slice. It's, it's a hard, hard battle, but like you can't just make everything uh, free because it's just not the model I want to use. I don't want to have advertising. I don't want to have like, you know, in your face trying to um, make money in other ways. I want people to pay for what 
um, for real value. Like, you know, there is, a, you're actually getting real value for those purchases, but at the same time, it, it hides some stuff from people and people aren't, um, yeah, don't, don't see the, see that value as, uh, easily. Um, I hope that the, the, the new hunters that, you know, maybe don't understand why it would be useful. Hopefully we can do a better job in, uh, explaining that. And I, I appreciate you guys have been helping with that and just, you know, mentioning I enter on the podcast is, it's helpful. And I, I think that, um, people see experienced hunters that do use it and the, the value that, uh, they're getting out of it. I think that helps a lot. Um, and those people, if they stick with the sport and continue hunting, they will, they will come to the, uh, point where they're not just being brought, brought to a place by their mentor. Like, I think a lot of really new hunters rely on other people to transfer knowledge. So they haven't quite built up the, um, they're not aware of what they're going to need to do it on their own because doing it on your own just takes so much more uh, effort and persistence and um, time and energy. So hopefully those people, they'll, they'll come around if they stick with, uh, uh, with um, hunting and you know what older people or sorry, less tech savvy people that, um, you know what, there's still paper maps out there. If, if people want to use the paper maps where we, uh, encourage that as well. If that's the, the means to get people out hunting, I think that's awesome too. And you know what, if one, if, if they can get their, uh, somebody else in their hunting party to use the technology to help, help with the hunt, then that's, uh, then that works as well. Right. Man, I'm just thinking right now of the accessibility for, for new hunters and, and how big of a tool it actually is for, and we were just talking, you were just mentioning like, uh, like mentorship and then like how you people actually get into hunting but like i just imagine a mentor sharing a waypoint to a new hunter through the app saying go to this spot you can hunt here walking on this trail um there's a good meadow here to sit in sit and watch here and that new hunter can go to that spot look on their phone and say okay i'm at the right spot this is where i go in this is where I need to be and just have like a hundred percent clarity on, you know, that they are at the right spot and they can be there. And, you know, this is what a good spot might look like kind of thing. Yeah. Like that's spot on. Like, uh, I I've been lucky enough to be able to help a couple other hunters over the years, um, by sharing my spots and, and sharing stands. Like I put a, like in, in near Calgary, like I put a lot of effort into to getting into, some backcountry spots, um, setting up tree stands, putting a lot of effort in. But as I've kind of complained a few times this uh, podcast, like I don't always have enough time to make full use of those. And so I, I share spots. Like I, a lot of people are like pretty stingy on sharing their secret spots. But if I put the effort in, I have stands and I have trail cameras up and I'd rather have like one of my buddies have some success. And so there's lots of times where, I'll just send them waypoints. I'll send them a track to like the route to take in. Cause I don't want them screwing up my hunt the, the following days when I, I know where the animals approach from. So I give them the actual route that I think they should take to get to that spot. Um, one of the other things for mentors and for new guys as well is um, if, if you're hunting in an area that has cell coverage, you can broadcast your location to your, the members of your hunting party, right? Like you can actually, 
uh, add, add your hunting party into your contacts list and then choose to broadcast your location and they can broadcast theirs and you can actually see where on the map the other guys in your group are so that if you guys are rifle hunting or do pushing bush uh, to push out uh, deer from a clump of bush, you can actually, that depends on the jurisdiction. Some jurisdictions don't allow uh, bi-directional communication um, while you're hunting, but like those are, the tools are available if it's legal in your area. Um, but yeah, th those things can help a lot with safety and with uh, teaching people like if you actually, uh, I can't count the number of times when I was young where one of my dad's buddies would say, um, okay, well you go to, uh, to the way, the center of the wagon wheel and I'm going to come uh, from the East and I'll meet you somewhere like just this random spot. And you're like, uh, okay, so <laughs> I follow this thing for how long? Is it 400 meters? Is it 800 meters? Where, where are we meeting? What time? What are you talking about? Like, Yeah. No, it's by that second poplar with the funny branch mark. Don't you know that's the spot where we meet? Yeah, exactly. The where yeah. the, the spot we got the elk three years ago and you're just like, but I wasn't here. <laughs> <laughs> yeah i could see it for sure it helping out with just that ease of communication too i'm curious too because i i've been using it and maybe um i'm sure other folks have used it this way but i, I want to run these by you like i've I, I, we don't have a fancy uh fish finder in our boat so the iHunter app has become the default kind of uh we i use that to mark any like nice spots on the lake if I catch, uh, you know, a lot of fish in some areas, or even if I'm doing some pre-scouting and looking at like a, like a depth map of the, of the area, like I can use my, my app to get me in range of where I think I should be fishing. So I've actually started to rely on it almost equally as much when I'm fishing as, as when I hunt, um, even for navigating the waters in some ways too. Right. Um, cause it gives you that nice topographic view that I I'm probably not getting, um, with other map services necessarily the the other things that go ahead no you continue sorry sure the other things i'm kind of been uh creeping into like it, it it seems to find its way into my life in funny ways uh i've used it when we've been even like hunt uh hiking in very uh like urban parks where we want to find a shortcut into like uh maybe just get off that trail quickly it's like oh let's pull up the app and see if we can get out of here quick and then even uh, I've, I've found that even parking in like large parking lots, there's no app where I can just <laughs> drop a waypoint if I want to find my car quickly. So if, if I know I'm going to be away from my car for a while, uh, I've, I've dropped a waypoint on occasion just to say, hey, I don't want to mess around finding my car here. Like if I come back a couple of weeks later, I've got a waypoint on where my car is in that lot and I just go right through that, that that's a new one i i actually uh i haven't heard of anybody using it for that but like that's uh tools like this are yeah pretty ubiquitous like you can you can use them for a lot of different aspects of your life it's not just a hunting app and we we get a lot of questions about that um in other provinces as well like where people want us well why don't you make an app for for farmers and why don't you make an app for just for hiking and you know there are lots of apps out there that do that and we we really try to tailor things for hunting but at the same time we've got a lot of users that um, aren't hunters but they realize it's the only app out there that has landowner maps so uh, we're gonna we're gonna buy this hunting app and 
that's kind of a cool thing as well. It exposes maybe uh, some more people to hunting that uh, aren't even, yeah, don't have an interest in it, but maybe they would develop one if they, they're exposed to it a little bit more and um, are aware of, you know, how they could could start hunting if they wanted to. Totally. How far off do you think we are from like maybe uh, real time or dynamic satellite imagery in an app like this? Do you think that's a, a possibility in the future here? I think real time isn't isn't uh, very likely, but there are definitely services that are doing um, like monthly update uh, satellites, uh, satellite views, um, or even more frequently if you were paying like premium prices. Uh, so lots of it comes down to just money. Like right. if people were willing to pay for that, like those are just engineering tasks and and partnership tasks that you could you could definitely bring something like that in. But it's asking people to to shell out. Uh, you know, significantly more than uh, the kind of price points that we're looking at. Um, there are some products in the U.S. So uh, HuntStand is one that does, um, they have a monthly updated satellite view, but I believe it is not uh, as um, good of fidelity. So it gives you like a, from a higher, uh, a zoomed out level, you would be able to see, has that stand of trees been cut yet? within the last 30 days, that's valuable information, but you would switch to a different map in order to see the detail. But that that other map might've been updated two years ago. So it doesn't have, like it might still show the trees. So it's, there are trade-offs uh, to things like that. Those are things that, yeah, we'll, we'll be looking at, but it's, um, it's a cool feature, but there's also, there's some uh, issues with it as well. But, um, and a lot, large part of that is just people yeah, they, they like, they want that uh, frequently updated uh, aspect, but, you know, it's not very detailed and they don't want to be switching maps and caching both types of maps and all that kind of stuff. So, uh, yeah, I, I think that things are going to advance. Like there are going to be um, services that are more frequent and as uh, more satellite providers are out there, uh, there'll be more options like that. But like anything, it's licensing. Everything is about cost and, um, you know, you got to figure out ways to um, minimize things for the end user. And and looking at that development vein and looping back to a previous podcast that we had you on, um, how close are you to launching our latest uh, Tinder-like app called Permissions? Is that <laughs> is that coming, coming down the pipe? Uh, there's a, yeah, we're not calling it that. No, like there, there's lots of talk and there we've got uh, some research projects and there's there's some um, some possibility, but we're not, it, it's still a very hard nut to crack. Uh, and there's, um, yeah, there's some issues with it. Like there are some companies that are doing land management um, like that. It is, uh, it's really hard to do well and maintain trust with, um, with all of the public and, there's lots of ways that people can shut down permissions uh, for land. Um, there's lots of ways that people can uh, buy access to land. Like, so in most provinces, you're not allowed to buy access to land. You're not allowed to uh, pay, uh, like in Alberta, for example, you're not allowed to pay a landowner for hunting rights. Um, and, you know, there are places that you are, are allowed to do that and there's places that you're not. But, uh, you know, a lot of booking systems um, can kind of get around that because you're not paying the landowner directly. You're paying uh, like a third party 
but there's a lot of ways that um, people could game a system like that as well. And um, yeah, there's some legal loopholes that people could, could be uh, navigating in order to kind of put systems like that in place. And, you know, I'm, I'm a public, uh, so I'm not an expert on public policy, but I have opinions on public policy. And I, I that is one that I do like. I like the, um, that system that we have up and I, I, I don't really want, you know, guiding services to be able to just lock down permission on a bunch of places and because they've signed a contract with a third party provider that uh, is going to broker that and, you know, there's lots of ways um, that things could be done. You know, I guess if we were the ones to build a system and we, we didn't work around those, uh, those rules and didn't make it possible, then, you know, great. But the public perception is still that there, people think that you're going to do that or think that it's happening. And I don't know how positive of a result that would be. I don't know. Like it, it's a it's a really tough problem. I think I said that last time too. And there's enough other problems that we know we have to work on. And so I think we're uh, we're going to focus on some of those right now. But um, there's lots of people working on the problem. And if somebody can do it, something will come out. Keep your eyes open. <laughs> well, thanks for humoring me there, Mark. And if I if I see the the app permissions hit uh, the market anytime soon, I I know that I can go for royalties because you heard it here first um, <laughs> but curious on on that topic though is like would you want to see that a permissions app where you don't engage with a land like where you're not you know engaging personally with a landowner and you're not building that relationship yeah the the reason i i I'd initially thought about it um and i i'll admit that i have have not put as much thought into it as you have clearly and you you've also dug into the nuts and bolts of it a lot deeper than I have. But I, I thought of it as a way to actually um, reduce the workload of uh, <laughs> of landowners in some ways who might be um, receiving, like you said, 300 requests a year. Um, so if you could swipe, I, I don't know how Tinder works, but if you could swipe left, is, is left, see you later. Um, I don't know. I'm too old for that. I've been yeah. too long. <laughs> but if 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 a landowner could just get rid of all these requests and maybe just like select the, the few that they they see fit, uh, maybe that reduces that workload a little bit, and it might also make um, things a little bit more approachable for a hunter who is maybe able to generate uh, a good profile, and maybe increase some transparency and accountability on uh, on that end too. And it, it might. I also thought being able to sh- show that permission either on your phone or uh, through like a certified email or something. I, I don't know, might be a little safer than um, a man. I just think of s- some of the situations I've been in where, Oh yeah, we've got permission from, yeah. from John <laughs> down the road. Don't worry about it. He, we just talked to him 30 minutes ago. Um, and I just wonder if that would hold up, whereas this might increase transparency and accountability, at least to some extent. I, I appreciate it comes up with its own host of issues but that's where i was headed with it no it's um i the points about accountability and visibility um and reducing workload for leaseholders or landowners those are like the top three things that were just in my 40 page uh document that i wrote for a provincial government so Part of part of the the summer's backlog has been also working with some provinces on some concepts like this, um, and trying to trying to figure out what that plan should be. Like, what what should 
if a system like this did exist in a province, uh, what should that look like and what are the, the main um, pain points that need to be um, solved? Like, you know, there's a lot of problems out there and there's uh, proposals by certain companies to do things certain ways and um, it would check some boxes that there is a system to do that, that there's a booking system, but there's a lot of problems that I don't think get addressed. Um, and it's a very complicated um, proposal for a system or like, it's easy to say we want a, a, a land management um, software to do this, but there's all oftentimes there are side effects of that that uh, are kind of unintentional. Um, yeah, it's, there's, there, <laughs> There's a lot of content on that topic, and uh, maybe we can talk talk offline about it sometime. Sounds good, Mark. And uh, yeah, before we go too deep into the the development and technology side here, and or even the legality side, I would guess uh, it uh, might be incumbent upon us to thank you again for coming on the podcast second time here. Um, I, I learned a, a bunch more about iHunter, which I didn't think would be I, I should have known it would have been possible but we appreciate you coming on sharing your knowledge and uh some of the behind the scenes look at uh how this stuff gets on our phone and how uh you know this useful information is either collected or uh put together for us yeah i appreciate you guys having me again it's always uh always a good time chatting with you so awesome well uh yeah thank you again and good luck out there this fall yeah you guys as well good luck man And thanks again, folks, for listening to episode 93 of the Panoramic Outdoors podcast with Mark Stenroos. Um, before you leave us, though, make sure you head over to whatever platform you're listening on and give us that rating. Give us some feedback, a comment, or just uh, share it with a friend if you enjoyed this episode. Um, you know, iHunter is one of our favorite tools to use uh, in the woods, at home, wherever it may be. I was using it the other day to, to quote distances on uh, a job for a buddy. So um, it's got uses way beyond the woods, but we use it quite frequently for our hunting and fishing stuff. So it, it's been amazing. Um, so share that with a friend too. And then turning our attention to the fall here, I'm seeing that we've got a, a couple new items and uh, one of them happens to be the crew neck sweater, which I am beyond excited that we've released. Not only do I love the crew necks in general, but again, we went with a, uh, a, a I'm going to say a quality garment here, Chase. And uh, we, I think we got a product that not only fits great, but uh, it's actually going to keep you looking stylish in the field, if that makes sense. 10 out of 10, man, all day. Yeah. So if you haven't seen the new crew necks, they're up on our social media. They're in the shop on the website. Be sure to check them out and they are starting to go already. So uh, don't delay. Um, you might even want to think about it for, uh, for Christmas or something of that effect. If you're, if you're planning that far ahead, what else is new chase? We have coming to the store. Um, they're actually in Deepwater right now, I think, or Brandon, wherever Shelly's at, but uh, youth hats. So we got a, couple of different color youth hats, some pink ones and some black ones. So if you're interested in getting your toddler a hat into some panoramic gear, they're uh, a flex fit hat and um, they're going to be up in our shop right away. But if you want to put your name on one, uh, send us a message and we will put one aside for you before they hit the shelves. I love it, man. And uh, before we wrap up, I did we thank Mark? I like, 
I'm going to give him one more big thanks just because A, is an interesting guy to talk to. B, just how much I think the, the iHunter app has changed the, uh, the hunter game in Canada here. So, Mark, thanks so much for coming on. Um, and like I said, like Chase said, thanks so much for listening. And if you're heading a field soon, uh, we're all looking forward to hunting season ramping up here. There's a few tips that maybe we should leave you with. Hey, Chase, what do you think? Let's do it. Yeah, I, I'm going to advise you to keep your powder dry, keep an edge on the blade. And uh, what's the last one there, Chase? Um, keep your bowstring waxed. Not overly waxed, though. Don't overwax <laughs> it. Otherwise, you're going to be scraping wax off of it. Let me tell you, that's the worst thing. Make sure.